And now we take you to Evangel Church in Tallahassee, Florida, to another powerful, life-changing message. For more information, visit our website, evangelag.org. We've been in this series, uh, we kicked it off last week called Regifting Christmas. And kind of the idea behind, um, behind this series is that there's a lot of things that you and I may want uh, for Christmas this year. There may be some things that we hope that we see underneath the tree here in a few weeks. But, but have we ever stopped and thought about uh, this question, what might God want from us this Christmas? I think it's a, a question that kind of provokes a little bit of thought. And so in this series this month, we're going to be looking at several different gifts that I believe uh, God would desire for us. These are gifts that we have received from him that I believe he would desire of us to re-gift, to give back to him. And so uh, last week uh, we talked about re-gifting our possessions. And uh, kind of the big idea from last week is that it's not hard to let go when we know it's not ours in the first place. Right. So we talked about we talked about how uh, we can give back. We can re-gift this amazing sacrifice that God has blessed us with through his son uh, by living a life, um, not with closed hands, but with with open hands. Today, I want to talk a little bit um, about our purpose. I want to talk about regifting our purpose. And we're going to be looking in first John chapter three. And so if you got your Bibles or smartphones, you can begin to, to make your way uh, there. Today, I'm going to tell you, give you kind of a heads up. Uh, today is a little, a little bit challenging, uh, but it's scripture, it's Bible. And so we're going to, we're going to take a look at it a little bit. And uh, what I've come to know now as a father is that every gift I give to my kids require a little bit of sacrifice for me. Right. There's plenty of things. How many parents out there? There's plenty of things we can do with the money, right? That we are, uh, we are blessing our kids with when we get gifts. And so, uh, anytime we give something, there is a little bit of sacrifice that's involved. And so we're going to uh, look at that today a little bit in the context of regifting our purpose. But, uh, before we jump in, let's prepare our hearts for today's word. Say this with me today. Father, as I open your word today, speak to me. May I have ears to hear, a heart to receive, and the courage to respond. In Jesus' name, amen. How many athletes, how many former athletes out there? Anybody ever uh, play some sports? Yeah, we got some athletes that, that uh, kind of played rec ball. We have athletes that kind of went all the way up into further, uh, further levels. Um, I, was, I, I was an athlete as a kid. I know you can't really tell it right now. The physique doesn't reflect it too well. Uh, but there was a time, uh, there was a time that I could run somewhat fast. There was a time that I could jump higher than this. Um, but, uh, I remember one of the sports that, that for me was a sport that I excelled in was basketball. And, um, there was something about basketball that I always got a kick out of. And that was that, that, uh, we didn't have social media back then. And so you couldn't talk trash over, over social media. And so the trash talking always happened in the warm up lines, um, when at pregame, when you're getting ready to, to kind of, to play your game. And, and, and I remember, I remember several times, like, like the other opposing team, they're kind of looking over at us and I'm looking over at them and, and they're talking trash every time you kind of do your layup or shot and you come back into the, into the line and they're, they're coming up here and they're just talking smack and, 
And um, one of my favorite things about being an athlete was when somebody would be talking trash. And for me, um, I can talk a little bit of trash, but I'm not usually the one um, instigating it. I'm the one that kind of responds to it. And um, and so I just remember a few times, like I'd have guys talking trash uh, about the game. And then they, they kind of quit talking trash at halftime when I shut them down and scored 20 points on them. And, uh, and, um, it, it, that was really a very prideful moment in my life when you could do something, when you could shut somebody down like that. But there was this phrase that, um, that we would say, uh, and this may date me a little bit, but the phrase was put up or shut up, right? Put up or shut up. Like, uh, listen, if you're going to talk trash, you can talk all you want. If you got the game to back it up, but if you're going to talk trash and you got no game, then it's time to be quiet. And, uh, um, you know, I think that, I think in the Christian faith, I think especially in the American uh, church, um, I think in a sense it's time for us to put up or shut up. That there is a, um, there is something that is, is lurking. There is this, this silent killer that is lurking within the American church. And this silent killer um, is a word, uh, consumerism. Consumerism is this mindset where it's, it's all about me. It's, it's everybody is, is kind of serving me. And you see that all throughout our society and culture, right? I mean, everything, the, the, uh, the area of jobs that is, uh, is increasing the fastest in America are jobs, are servant jobs, jobs about providing services for us. Um, there is this consumerism that is kind of flooding through America, all about me mindset, what's in it for me. And my fear about this consumerism mindset that we're seeing in America is that it is producing, it's producing a church that's full of takers, not givers. I told you, it's a, this is, it's a challenging one, but we're going to get, it's, it's word, like we're going to get into it, but but it's producing churches all across America that are churches that are full of takers, not givers. And maybe, maybe that's why Generation Z, those that, that are in the room that are 24 years old and younger, maybe that's why Generation Z is the least uh, religious generation of all time, of all time. And maybe that's kind of why every generation before Generation Z has become less and less religious. That it has been this kind of cycle, this, this, this process where we as a country have drifted further and further away from the Christian values. Maybe that, maybe that has something to do with the fact that because of COVID-19, we've seen a third of churchgoers leave the church altogether. Like this is nationwide, the average in every church across America. I'm not talking about people that have just kind of quit going to church and they're watching online. I'm talking about people that no longer have anything to do with church whatsoever. A third of churchgoers have left the church. I want you to hear your heart. I want you to hear my heart this morning that there is an epidemic an epidemic in the church of America. And that epidemic is not COVID-19. It's consumerism. It's this idea of everything is, is how, it, 
how it serves me, how it, it, it blesses me. Like I think of, of the question and I've, I've asked it too, like God's, God, what is your will for me? Right? It's, it's about what I get out of it, not God, what's your will for me? Like, how do you, God, want me to live my life so that I can make a difference and an impact in other people's lives? It's, it's God, what do you want? Like, what do I get in the process and the journey of, of following God? And, and so we've got this epidemic, but the good news is, is that there is a cure. Thank God. There is a cure. And we're going to look at that cure today in 1 John chapter 3. A um, little bit of context, a little, back, little bit of uh, background for First John chapter 3 to help you kind of get a picture of what God is saying to us today. Um, these letters, First John, Second John, and Third John are letters that uh, obviously the guy's name is John who wrote them, but it is one of Jesus's disciples. All right, this is a guy who um, who walked with Jesus. This is a guy who had a front row seat to everything that Jesus said, to everything that Jesus did. But now, now John's a little older. I like to refer to John um, in these three letters as Grandpa John. Because now John has gotten quite a bit older. He's got a lot of age and a lot of experience behind him. And Grandpa John is now writing this letter. And Grandpa John, he oversees at this time, he oversees a network of, of, of little house churches around Ephesus and outside of Ephesus. Now, these house churches back then, they didn't have buildings like this where they would come together and, and gather, you know, once a week. Um, they had house churches. And so you would see these little congregations of, of maybe 10, 20, 30 people, whatever, that would, 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 would be at houses. And, and that's kind of like our small group model. Like that's why, um, that's why there's some things that, that can happen um, in a corporate setting like this. And there's some things that can't happen in a corporate setting like this because it gets out of order. Because there's so many people that are in the room that back in those days, um, when you saw a lot of things operate and move, a lot of times those operated and moved within the context of house churches that had 20 or 30 people in them that everybody knew everybody. And so here we've got John that is overseeing these network of house churches. But here's what's been happening is these guys have been going through uh, some difficulty. They've experienced a, a toxic church split that's been happening uh, within the various different house churches, what happened is that some of the believers began to believe that Jesus was not the Messiah. And so what they've done is they've began to, to come back to these house churches and began to stir a lot of conflict and division within these, these house churches. And so this is the context of what motivates Grandpa John to sit down with a pen and paper and to begin to write these letters. And so here in 1 John chapter 3, we see Grandpa John uh, writing to these believers and he's addressing some expectations of the faith, some expectations um, of how they are supposed to conduct their lives as Christ followers. 
And I'm going to be honest with you. What we're going to read in these next few verses can bother some people, and that's okay. I think that that was part of his, his mission and desire as he wrote these, as he was trying to help the believers in those days that were facing a lot of, uh, of difficulty, a lot of struggles, a lot of toxicity with the culture around them, that he wanted to make sure that they ha- uh, held on to the core values of what being a Christ follower was all about. And so here's what he says, starting in verse 11. He says, this is the message that you have heard from the beginning. In other words, it's not a, it's not a new message that has just kind of started. It's not a new fad or anything like that. This is from the very beginning when Jesus's feet were on the dirt and he was walking and ministering. And I was, Grandpa John was following him everywhere that he went. This was the message that we should love one another. That we should love one another. And then Grandpa John begins to to explain kind of what that looks like. And he says this in verse 16, that that we know what real love is. And notice if he's got to say real love, that means there's an artificial love that's kind of floating around. He says the real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. In other words, what John is writing and trying to help them understand is don't be looking to all these other places to find your definition of love. Don't be looking at the view. Don't be looking at the news. Don't be looking at all the social media groups and what these groups are saying and what these groups are saying. Don't look anywhere other than the example of Jesus on the cross to understand what real love is looks like and he says so we so we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and our sisters like just like jesus gave up his life for us we should also give up our lives for others kind of makes me think of last week when we talked about possessions and we talked about we, we looked at the, the parable, the story that Jesus gave uh, called the Good Samaritan. And you remember from last week that, that you had the religious people, the Good Samaritan was walking down the road and uh, robbers get a hold of him and, and, and beat him up and take his clothes and take all of his stuff and he's left there to die. And the religious people, or you remember, the religious people walk up, they see a need, they see that they can do something about it, but they choose to turn and go to the other side of the road and keep walking. And Jesus points out the fact that this good Samaritan sees a need and steps in and does something about it. And Jesus uses this story as a way to explain to us and them um, what loving your brother and sister really looked like. Like it wasn't like I'm going to love just the people that have the same skin color as me. I'm not going to love the people that come from the same financial background as me. I'm not going to love the people that have been in church all their life, but not put up with the people that don't know anything about the Christian faith, right? Like I'm not, Jesus is like, no, everybody's your brother and sister and we're going to love them and love them means that we're going to see a need and we're going to go and we're going to meet that need. I think what Grandpa John is saying is that real love isn't defined necessarily by what we believe. It's defined by what we do. 
Like even the demons believe, right? Like even the demons believe that there is a, a, a definition of, of being a Christ follower that goes way deeper than just what we believe about God. It's how we live our lives. How has that belief transformed the way that we live our lives? And then Grandpa John just, he continues to kind of, kind of flesh this out in the next verse. And the next verse is, is pretty graphic. It's pretty graphic, this next verse. Like even the English translators decided they want to clean it up just a little bit because they didn't want, um, they didn't want the readers to get offended. They didn't want the readers to get kind of a little like queasy over it. And so the English version of how they cleaned it up says this in verse 17, that if someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need, but shows no compassion. Now you can, you can see that, that grandpa John, he's setting it up, right? This is, it's on the tee. He hasn't, he hasn't kicked the ball yet, but it is, it's on the tee. And he's like, if someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need, but shows no compassion. Now that doesn't sound like, it doesn't sound too graphic. It doesn't sound too gross, but But now I want you to look at the original Greek. This is the literal translation of that last um, section of the verse. The literal Greek translation says, shuts up the bowels of him from him. So instead of where the English translation says, shows no compassion, the Greek literal translation, which is the original language that that John wrote this in, he wrote, shuts up the bowels of him from him. Now this, this phrase, shuts up, it, it, it means to prevent passage from an opening. Are you following me? To prevent passage from an opening. Bowels. Okay? <laughs> You're like, I get it, Ryan, I get it. <laughs> so... So watch this, the translators in 1611, the King James Version, which some would say is the anointed version, um, (laughs) they chose not to sugarcoat it, right? And so here's how it was translated in the King James Version. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him. In other words, what Grandpa John's kind of getting at in this letter to these believers, to these house churches, is that if, if you're going to see a need and suddenly get financially constipated, right? You're going to see a need and all of a sudden, like you get a little constipated with your time and your, your talents and your, and your treasure and you begin to kind of hold it back a little bit. Grandpa John's like, you might be full of something, but it ain't the love of God. And what Grandpa John's saying? So he says in verse 17 that if someone has enough money to live well and sees a, a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion. In other words, you see a need, but then you start getting kind of tight, right? There's, there's no passion there. There's no compassion, motivation to, to do something about it. This is the question that Grandpa John throws out in connection to that. He says this right here. 
how can God's love be in that person? Like, like really, like how, Grandpa John, like how can God's love be in that person? Like keep in mind that this is a guy who isn't just writing the story that he's heard about. Like he's writing, um, he's lived this story right beside Jesus. It's, it's a piece of history, not that he observed um, because somebody told him or anything. It's a piece of history that he witnessed firsthand. And Grandpa John is just, he's thinking like, like how dare we ever shut off our hearts in light of, of what Jesus has done for us, like from Grandpa John's perspective, he couldn't imagine. Like, like I know it's hard for us to picture it, like this far removed from the cross. But for Grandpa John, who was there, like he was there with Jesus, he was there when when the kingdom of God was birthed and came to life. Like he was there and he witnessed it all. And from his perspective, he can't imagine. A Jesus follower who would ever be kingdom constipated in their life. Like for Grandpa John, that is a contradiction of terms. And so I can see, I can see John like at his desk and he's putting ink to the scroll and he's, and he's writing these letters to these house churches and he's thinking like, like if, if you're going to be too busy, if you're going to be too stingy to make a difference in the lives of others, the church, you don't get it. Like, can you, I mean, can you, can you get a sense of this guy's heart that, and all of what he's seen, and he's part of his mission and job is to take um, what Jesus has done and, and to, to spread it for generations to come. And even this quickly, the church is beginning to, to kind of get off kilt just a little bit. And Grandpa John is coming in. He's saying, you've got to see the big picture. That this is all about making a difference in the lives of other people. Like he's thinking maybe, maybe this gospel message, like if you've become too stingy and too busy to make a difference in other people's lives in light of all that Jesus has done for you, like, like he's thinking like maybe this has become a fairy tale for you. Like maybe, maybe for you guys it's something that's happened long, long, long time ago and it doesn't really connect with your life anymore. And I could see him at his, at his desk and I could see him with his pen and his paper and I could see tears coming down his cheeks that if, and he's thinking, if only you had, had been there, like if only you had been there with me and Jesus' mom, if only you had seen what Jesus went through for us with your own eyes, then and certainly that certainly you could spare a few dollars or a few hours in your busy schedule to make a difference in the lives of other people. I think Grandpa John would, would say to us today that we, that we should be happy 
that we should be happy to do for others what others can't in that moment do for themselves. Like that should never be something that we look at as a burden in our life or an inconvenience. Like we looked at the Good Samaritans with the religious people that saw a need, but there was an inconvenience there. Like even Grandpa John is is coming back and he's reiterating the fact that, that that's something that we should be happy about to see a need and to be able to meet a need and and grandpa john is writing to these churches and he's like listen folks that's what the gospel is all about it's what it's all about like while we were yet sinners christ died for us like there was a moment in our life where we were the needy one where we were the one that was was going to hell when we were in the light of the sin and the lifestyle and the stuff that we've done that that jesus that god went out of his way and saw a need and decided hey jesus you got to go deal with that because i love them too much to allow their lives to go down that path. And so Jesus freely gave up his life up on the cross for you and I so that we could have life, not just eternal life with him, but a purposeful life here on earth. And and, folks, Grandpa John is like, you got to get it. Like, I know that you're removed. I know that you weren't there when it happened, but this is legit. Like, this is what it's all about. This is what it's all about. It's not about just receiving a gift and and thank you, God, for eternal life. And now I'm going to go back and I'm going to do my life my way and and live this consumerism kind of mentality where, where it's all about me. And folks, we see this like, and I'm not, listen, I'm your pastor to this church. Like this is a message that needs to be preached in every church across America. This is not because there's some people in the church that are stingy. That's, if you're here for the first time, this is not how we roll here. Um, listen, it's not about, it's not about coming into a church family. And coming in with the context of how can this family serve me? Like, like, sure, sure, there are seasons that we are, are in need. There are seasons that we are experiencing brokenness. And a church family is there to be able to come alongside and to love on one another and encourage and, and, and to be one of those 2 a.m., 3 a.m. friends when it seems like all hell's fallen, uh, fa- uh, fallen apart in your life and you feel like you got nobody you can reach out to that will be a listening ear and, and, and will help you respond in a way that's going to be life-giving. Like, sure, sure, the church is here for that. But the church is not here like... Like Jesus didn't die on a cross so that you and I could come into any place and and complain about this and this and this not serving us in the way that it needs to serve us. Like think about think about the American church. Like think about like think about that. Right? Like we order we ordered a, a pizza last week and I got so frustrated that uh, they didn't cook the pizza right. Like it was, it was a thin crust. I like thin crust and I like it when it's crispy, right? You take a bite, it, it crunches a little bit, right? And it, I mean, it was floppy. Like it was just like, I mean, it, it was not in the oven long enough. And I, and I struggled because I wanted to call the pizza place and say, you made my pizza wrong, right? And it's like, it's like we carry that into the church, like, you didn't sing my songs today, and I don't like that. I didn't know that song, and so don't sing that song. 
or like there wasn't enough, there wasn't enough um, uh, people in the nursery when I dropped my kids off, and so you guys need to do a better job at, 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 at having the nursery staff. Oh, don't call me, don't call me, don't call me. Um, I'm busy, I got stuff to do, but you guys need to do a better job like, like doing that. Like, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I know I'm stepping on a little toes, but I'm trying to help you kind of see, bring this into a practical application that we, we have gotten into this what about me mindset and it has creeped into the church and um, I've never known anybody that has complained about stuff all the time that is living the kind of life that I'm trying to model my life after. Like I don't see like you know what I'm saying like I don't know about you but if you think about the people around you that complain the most those aren't the people that we're aspiring to be like. (laughs) You know what I mean? And the reason why is because that stuff is not how God's designed us to operate as followers of Christ. It's not about us. It's not about what we want. It's not about how we like things. It's about, is this the place that God has uniquely called me to? Right? And that's a question that we all have to ask. Like, is this where God has called me to? And if this is where God has called me to, then I'm going to plant my roots into this place And I'm going to understand that I'm not going to like all the weather that comes my way when I'm planted into this place. But this is where God has called me to be. And if I will lean into all the different seasons that come my way, at the end of the day, I'm going to be strong and I'm going to be growing and I'm going to be vibrant. Grandpa John says in verse 8, I'm going to get going, I'm going to move past that. I'll leave that there. Grandpa John says in verse 18, Dear children, and I, can, I don't know if it's just because I'm a visual person, like I can, I can see his hand moving. Dear children. This, I mean, this is, this is Grandpa John. I mean, he knows that he doesn't know how much longer he's got to live, right? There's a whole lot more time in his rearview mirror than there is ahead of him. And Grandpa John is because he's got a heart for these churches. He's got a heart for people to become all that God's called him to be. And he's, he's on here. He's like, dear children, let not merely say that we love each other. He writes, let us show the truth by our actions. In other words, don't just sing about it. Don't just preach about it but do something about it. And John's like, in verse 19, he's like, and by the way, they didn't have verses back then. So this is, this is all one, one flow of uh, thought. He says, our actions. Not our beliefs. He says, our actions will show that we belong. Not our beliefs. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth. So we will be confident when we stand before God. Friend, this is something that I don't want you to miss because we can, we can read right over that. Here's what Grandpa John is saying in this verse. That the assurance... Do you have that up there? Yeah. The assurance that we will go to heaven when we die isn't because of a prayer we pray. It's because the life 
we live. The assurance that you and I, like if we ever ask that question, are we, if I die today, am I going to go to heaven? It's not about a prayer. It's about the way that we live our lives. Friend, long before, long before you and I had a Bible with chapters and verses wrapped up in a pretty leather, you know, binding, I've got plenty of those, but long before that, there was a version of Christianity that captured the attention of the world. Not because of, get this, not because of what they believed, but because of how they behaved. And I think it all comes back to, boils back to this one big kind of question as our team prepares is, what would God desire from us this Christmas? Like there's a lot of things that we will desire under the tree, but if we were really going to be courageous enough to ask the question, well, what would God desire of us this Christmas? I think we find our answer in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 related to our purpose. It says in verse 18 that in all of this, that it's a gift from God, meaning the forgiveness that you and I have freely received, all that Jesus has done on the cross for you and I, that it is a gift from God who brought us back to Himself through Christ. And so how... This gift that you and I have received, this gift of eternal life and salvation, how do we re-gift that back to God? We find that in this next part of the verse, and God has given us this task. He's given us this job, this purpose, this this calling in our lives. And I, I don't see him say anything about like, like God has given the people that grew up in church this task. And I don't see it say, and God has given the people that have a perfect life this task. And I don't see it say, uh, God has given like just the preacher this task. Like I don't see that anywhere. I see a statement that encompasses all followers of Christ say that he's given us this task of reconciling people to him. Reconciling meaning that, that we have a part to play and and helping God take a broken, shattered life and to build back this beautiful mosaic of of all the pieces that we thought were castaways and worthless and how God can take that and put it together and create this beautiful mosaic in people's lives. And in verse 19, he says, For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, And he gave us, he gave us, he gave us, he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. And because of that, we are Christ's ambassadors. Like we are his messengers. We are his representatives. We are his his mouthpiece that God is making his appeal through us. What's our purpose? Our purpose is to freely receive a gift. A gift that would make a difference in our lives for all of eternity. 
and then to be willing to live the kind of life that takes that gift and gives it to every single person that we come in contact with. How we live our life, it's, it's just as important as what we believe. What we see here and read here, it's not the golden rule where we do for others what has been done for us. This is we do for others in light of what's been done for us. I want to close with this this quote that has provoked me every time I I read this. And it was written um, when the church was being decimated by the Roman Empire, when Christians were being fed the lions and imprisoned and and crucified upside down. And despite the, the power and the brutality of the Roman Empire, Caesar was shocked as to why he couldn't crush the Christians or silence them. And so what he decided to do was to send a guy named Aristides to infiltrate the church and to get some answers. And after this man got into these house churches and observed what was happening, this is what he wrote back to Caesar. He said they love one another. And he who has gives to him who has not without boasting. And when they see a stranger, they take him into their own homes and rejoice over him as a very brother. And if there is any among them that are poor and needy, and if they have no spare food, they fast, look at this, they fast two or three days in order to supply to the needy their lack of food. Such, O King, is their manner of life. Like this, is, this isn't just a, a, a special event or moment that they do. This is the way that they live their life. And verily, this is a new people. Like this is a kind of people that does not reflect the culture. Like these are, are different kind of people that we come into contact with. And there is something divine in the midst of them. think I'd be remiss to not ask this question of us today. What if Aristides was in our worship service today? What if he was here and what if he saw the way that we worship our Savior? And what if he was here and he saw the way that we serve our Savior Would he say the same thing about us? Would he be just as impressed and just as shocked by the way that we live our lives, the way that we have taken this free gift and live the life on mission to share it with every single person that we come in contact with? Friend, I don't know about you. I know I'm not going to be perfect in that journey, in that endeavor, but it's an endeavor that I desire to follow through with in my life. It's an endeavor. I I refuse to allow consumerism to shape and define what my relationship with God looks like. And I believe God is looking for a people. I believe he's looking for a church 
that won't do church and try to be the church all about themselves, but will re-gift their purpose and recognize that, that they have a task, they have a job, they have a calling, they have a purpose. And that God is hoping to be able to make his appeal through them. You bow your head with me today and close your eyes. Father, Lord, I just thank you for this amazing church. And God, as difficult and heavy and challenging as this message is, Lord, I could just I could just see in the eyes and I can feel in the room, Lord, that that this isn't a church full of people that are resisting and pushing it away. These, this is a church full of people that are, are leaning in. God, you are stirring our hearts. That God, you've got a calling and you've got a purpose on this church. And that calling and purpose can't come to pass unless our individual calling and purpose comes to pass. And so, Lord, I pray that in this moment, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would begin to stir our hearts. And Lord, as much as we, as we may wrestle, Lord, with, with the idea of conviction, Lord, the idea of conviction is, is designed, Lord, to, to help us see that we're going down the wrong path and to redirect our hearts in the right direction that you would have for us. And so today we invite your conviction. But Lord, if we've gotten out of alignment in our faith, if we begin to live our life all about ourselves and losing kingdom focus, Lord, getting constipated with our time, our talent, and our treasure. Lord, I pray that you would convict us. That, Lord, we would have the heart of the Good Samaritan, the heart of Grandpa John, That is designed, decided that nothing will be an inconvenience to us fulfilling the purpose that you have for us. With every head bowed and eye closed, maybe you're here today, maybe you're watching online, and you're sensing the Holy Spirit stirring something in you. Friends, you can't re-gift your purpose until you receive the gift in the first place. Maybe there's some of you here today that maybe you don't know God or maybe you've drifted far away. And in this moment, you're sensing the Holy Spirit stirring your heart that it's time to to come back to Him. It's time to, to, to lay down your life, to surrender your life, to receive all that He has for you. Friend, if that's you, I'm not going to ask you to stand or come forward, but I do want to pray for you. If that's you with every head bowed and eye closed, I want you to just slip up your hand for just a second. Hold it up so I can see it. Yeah. Yeah, maybe you're watching online. Take a step of faith. I know nobody may be in your living room but or in your car when you're listening to the podcast, but anybody else? You raised your hand today. I want you to repeat this prayer with me. Church family, say this with me. Jesus, 
Thank you for dying for my sins. Forgive me for living life my way. Today I choose to surrender to you. Come live inside of me and change me into the person you want me to be. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray right now that God uses this message to plant good eternal seeds deep into your soul. For more information, visit our website, evangelag.org. Evangel's all about making the name of Jesus famous and His church glorious. We love God, love people, and love life. And we're here for you, working to help draw people from impossible situations into a loving and friendly circle of hope where answers are found and acceptance is given. We invite you to join us for any of our services, Sunday mornings at 10.30 and Wednesday evenings at 7. We're located at 2300 Old Bainbridge Road in Tallahassee. We have fantastic programs for kids and youth and small groups to make deeper connections. And we pray that God blesses you richly and abundantly as you continue to seek Him first in all of your life.